Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sanctuary Worship here at First Presbyterian Church. It's so good to see you this morning and to have you here uh, joining us virtually. I just have one announcement today. It's not a very exciting one, but it is important. It is stewardship season at First Presbyterian Church. If you've received your pledge card, I would uh, invite you to prayerfully consider what you would like to do to support the church in 2021 and then just send that back in. If you don't get a pledge card from First Presbyterian, but you would like to support our work in the coming year, we would, of course, love to have that and welcome that. You can do that on the church's website, or you can contact our financial secretary, Cindy Sherrod. Now, with all that in mind, let us prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God. Listen to these words from Psalm 85, verses 9 through 11. Surely God's salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. 
Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. Righteousness will look down from the sky. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, as we prepare our minds and hearts for worship this day, help us to set aside all of our fears, anxieties, and distractions. Help us to focus upon you, upon your word, and upon your call in our lives. Guide us this day, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
If we say we have no sin, we deceive only ourselves and the truth is not in us. But when we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us in all mercy and righteousness. So together, let us confess our sins before God and one another using this prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, we confess that we have not been peacemakers in our land. We have contributed to the anger which sweeps across the country. We have clothed our rage in self-righteousness, and we have used it to justify hating our neighbor, attacking our enemy, and dismissing our brothers and sisters in Christ. In these ways, O Lord, we have sinned against you, and we take this moment to offer our silent prayer of confession to you. We offer this prayer in the sure and certain hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. My brothers and sisters, who is in a position to condemn? It is only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone and the new life has come. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. And now let us sing to God's glory. This week concludes our great eight series. This was two months of scripture passages selected by you for our sermon texts. And this is the last one. So what was chosen here was blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I'm going to read a little bit more than that. I'm going to read beginning in verse one of chapter five and concluding with that verse, which is chapter verse nine. So listen now for God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the mercy, merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I want to talk about proximity, about being near or far from things. I was thinking about that. This past week, as I remembered a concert that I went to, it was one of the first concerts I ever attended, and it was by a band called U2, who were quite famous and still are. When I told my son Callum about this, 
this past week that I had gone to see a band called U2 when I was younger. He said, who are they? And it brought a small tear to my eye. But that concert was memorable because it was one of the times in my life when I've had the best seats that I have ever had at a concert. There was this runway in the stadium, and it was a giant arena. It was where the Dallas Cowboys play football. And there was this runway that came out from the stage, and each member of the band did a solo at the end of the runway during the show. And I was like 20 feet from the end of that runway. They were right there in front of me. And it was so great. It was so great to be that close to a band that I loved. Proximity is one of the ways that we show what we like, what we care about, what we enjoy. Having things near us is a sign that we value them and care about them. What's one of the best ways that we can show another person affection? It's a hug. It's getting that person as absolutely close to us as we possibly can. It's one of the things that so many of us are missing right now during these days of social distancing, the ability to touch someone that we care about. Proximity is great, except when it isn't. Think about these sorts of words or phrases in our language. Epicenter, ground zero. Nobody ever wants to be at the epicenter of an earthquake. Nobody ever wants to be at ground zero of an explosion. There are things that we don't want to be near. Just as we love to hug those who matter most to us, those whom we really don't like, we prefer to be as far away from them as possible. For like a month, I bragged about how close I was to you 2 at that concert. Almost nobody ever brags about being near the epicenter or being at ground zero. They don't brag because they likely don't survive it, but they don't brag because it's not something anybody wants to do or anybody envies. Being near to things that are bad or dangerous or distasteful or what we don't like is not how we set up our lives. We try to be as far from those things as we possibly can. So how close or how far we are to something tells us a lot about how we feel about it. So today I want to talk about our proximity to the church in our culture. Today when I talk about church, I'm not talking about just First Presbyterian Church. I'm talking about the American church, the church in our culture and in our country. And how close or how far people want to be from that church. And in order to do that, we need to think for a few minutes about the Beatitudes. That's the name of the passage that I just read to you, the Beatitudes. They have that name because that points to that first word in each of the verses, blessed. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. That's how it gets its name, the Beatitudes. And this passage kicks off one of my absolute favorite sections in scripture, uh, I can prove that it's my favorite because I have kept it near me during much of my ministry here. I've taught an entire semester on it in Sunday school. Tosh and I have preached sermons on it. I reference pieces of it almost every week in worship. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' ethical teaching in the middle of Matthew. It runs through chapters 5, 6, and 7 of this gospel. And it includes things like love your enemies, turn the other cheek, it teaches us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is located in this section of the Gospel of Matthew. It tells us not to worry about tomorrow, that today's worries are enough, and it tells us not to be angry. 
It teaches us how we are supposed to live as followers of Jesus. And it teaches us things that are hard. And the way that it kicks off, the way Jesus begins that teaching is with these blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now there's conversation and has been for centuries in the church about whether or not this is a list of behaviors that we should do. So think of it as rules. Should we think of this as rules that we're supposed to do these things? Or should we think of it as descriptive? Is Jesus describing a people? I think that it's the latter. I am of the belief that Jesus' audience here in the Sermon on the Mount was very much intended to be the church. That while he was addressing those people who had followed him up the mountain from the villages around the Sea of Galilee, he had those who would follow him throughout the centuries in his mind. He had us in his mind. And I think that these beatitudes, these blessings, are meant to be a description of who we're supposed to be. There's a difference in doing something and being something. I can try to be sad about something, but that doesn't mean I mourn it. I can try to be nice, that doesn't make me a peacemaker. It's not a list of rules. It's a description of a people, us, the church. It's the foundation upon which all those ethical teachings that will follow it are built. So I think this is a description. It's a description of who we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who make peace. That's who we're supposed to be. And this brings us back to the conversation about proximity. If you know anything about the church in America, then you know this, that fewer people want to be part of it than has ever been in the course of American history. Every generation seems to be less and less interested in being near the church. Whereas in the past, our culture was practically hugging the church, now more and more our culture sees the church more as an epicenter or ground zero, something best to be avoided. Now, when we name this, usually we name culprits for it. We say, well, this is the fault of politicians. It's the fault of entertainers. It's the fault of distractions, of smartphones. Or we go back to that old reliable, it's the fault of kids these days. But I don't think it's the fault of any of those people. I think it's the fault of the church. I think the reason people don't want to be around us is because we don't look very much like who we are supposed to be. If we think of the Beatitudes as a description, we ask ourselves how well it describes us to those on the outside. And in their distance from us, we get the answer. For almost all of us who love the church, who were raised and nurtured in the church, we see these things. We look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and we see the meek. We see the poor in spirit. We see those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in our midst. We see the pure in heart. We see the peacemakers. 
But the world, the world in our society is having a difficult time seeing those things. So let's talk about peacemaking. That was the specific verse that was chosen for us today, so it's appropriate for us to consider it. What does Jesus say about it? He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Wouldn't that be nice? Isn't that nice? Don't you like the idea of God calling you his child? I do. I like the idea of God looking down upon me, seeing me at the end and saying, Philip, you are my child. Imagine God saying that to you. You are my child. I would think all of us would want to hear those words. All of us would want to feel that in our hearts. And yet, judging by the lack of peace we find in our nation around us, and the fact that we call ourselves a Christian nation, it must not be all that appealing. When we look around, we don't see a tremendous amount of peace. We see a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. We see Facebook messages written in all caps. We see friends who have stopped talking to each other. We see churches which simply have begun to echo the talking points of political parties. If we're a Christian nation, and this is a list that describes what the church looks like, where are the peacemakers? Now I get it's really hard work. I get that it's really difficult. But it's who we're called to be. We're supposed to be those people who make people calm, not angry. We're supposed to be those people who listen not talk over. We're supposed to be those people who look others in the eye and when we see their anger and their fear and their frustration, we love them. That's who we're supposed to be. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. That's who he's describing. That's who the children of God are. They're people who make peace. We should walk out of our houses every day. We should turn on the news every night. We should open our social media feeds anytime we pick up our phone. And we should have that mantra in our head. I'm a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker. I am a peacemaker. I make peace. That's who I am. I am a peacemaker. Jesus is describing us, the church, his followers. We are peacemakers. And when we make peace... When we make peace, God says, see, see, those are my children. It's not easy to do. It's not particularly fun a lot of the times. It's not like we're going to get a lot of attaboys from the culture around us. But it's exactly what we are called to be, and it's precisely what Jesus names us. And if you think about this list You think about how hard it is. These things are hard. It's hard being poor in spirit. If we interpret that as being uh, in seasons where our faith is weak, Jesus names it and says it's okay, but it's not easy to be in those seasons where our faith is weak, where we're troubled, where we're doubting. It's not easy to be meek, to put ourselves in a position to potentially be 
walked on, to not try and go and claim what's ours in the world. It's disappointing to look around and hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're going to be disappointed if we look around for righteousness in this world. That's emotionally difficult. It's hard. It's hard to mourn. It's hard to look at the suffering and troubles in this world and legitimately mourn them. And being pure in heart, God knows there's enough temptations around to do that. These are difficult things. You know, when we think about proximity, where does everybody sit when they come to church? They don't sit near the pulpit. They sit near the exits. It says something, doesn't it? I think it says that deep down, we know we might hear something that's hard. We might be asked to do something that's challenging. It's not easy to sit right there, to sit right in the middle, right in front, and just take the word of God full on in. It's not easy to do it. It's hard. So we always want to make sure that we can get out if we need to. I get it. I understand. I've sat in the back plenty of times in my life. These things are hard, but they require us to do them together. It's about us being part of a family being a community for each other. That's what makes the whole thing possible. Jesus isn't describing individuals here. He's describing a people. This is who we are. This is who we are. And so we think, we think that nobody wants to be a part of the church anymore, and it may just be that the church isn't being who we're called to be. It may be that a lot of people look at us and they don't see a lot of these attributes. They just see a group of people mirroring what's happening in the culture around us. And my friends, that is not particularly appealing to many people. I want us to think for a second. If you know Matthew, you know what comes after the Beatitudes. And if you've forgotten, I'll tell you. Jesus calls us salt and light. Salt and light. Let's think about salt for a minute, shall we? In the ancient world, salt was one of the more valuable things that you could have because it did two things. It preserved food and it seasoned food. Everybody who could have afforded it would have had salt in their houses. Anywhere salt was found on the earth, Villages would spring up to mine it and to sell it and to trade it. Jesus chose salt because it was so common, but yet so valuable. It was everywhere because people needed it everywhere. How many restaurants have you gone to lately where there wasn't salt on the table? There's a menu, there's silverware, and there's salt. It sure seems to me like over the course of human history, salt is something that people have wanted to be around. It's something that they've wanted near at hand. Interesting, isn't it? That Jesus would choose something so common and so ubiquitous. Isn't it interesting that we have salt in our kitchen cupboards right now, salt on some of our tables? Isn't it fascinating that God would choose an image for the church of something that everyone would want around. Fascinating. Amen. Let us pray.
Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks this day for the many blessings you have bestowed upon us. We're so grateful to you, grateful for the work you have done in our lives, grateful for our brothers and sisters in Christ, grateful for the blessings which we have received. And we take this time now to offer to you our private prayers of thanksgiving. Holy God, you have called us to be a people, and you have described us so clearly in Scripture. Help us to be the people that you have described, the people you have called us to be. Give us the strength, the courage, the humility to do your work in these ways, to witness through these words. And we take this time now to offer to you our silent prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Holy God, as the culture around us gets more and more angry, as rage stalks the streets, as frustration bubbles up everywhere, we remember that we're called to be peacemakers. And so we take this time now to offer to you our silent prayers for peace in our land and in your world. Holy God, we're mindful always of those whom we love and are in particular need of you. Those who need your presence, those who need your grace, those who need your healing touch. And we offer you now our silent prayers for people and situations. Great, merciful, and holy God, we offer all of these prayers to you in the sure and certain hope of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Freely we've been given to, freely let us give. It is time to share the fruits of our labors with the Lord. Hey everybody, welcome to Stewardship 2020. Our theme this year is beginning at the end, where we consider the ways in which Christ's promises are lived out by us here in the church. In this series of videos, I would like us to focus specifically on the staff of First Presbyterian Church and the ways in which they helped the church get through these very difficult times of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today's focus is on Cindy Sherrod, our financial director, and Peter Fleck, one of our elders, will talk about her and what she has done to help the church during this difficult time. Check it out. 
Hi, my name is Cindy Sherrod. I am the financial secretary for First Presbyterian Church. And uh, in March next year, I'll have been here for nine years. Hello, I'm Peter Fleck. And for those of you who don't know me, my wife Rebecca and I have been members of First Press since we moved here in 1992. I'm currently on the session and on the administrative committee. I think if you don't haven't had experiences on uh, the session uh, or specifically with the admin committee, you might not know Cindy at all or know what she does. Cindy keeps the books for the uh, for the church and as such, she's the go-to person for any information about the various trusts and funds and, and as such, uh, she's crucial to the function of the administrative committee. We'd be completely lost without her. Um, more recently, specifically with the COVID-19 crisis, uh, Cindy uh, was, uh, became aware immediately when the Small Business Administration uh, announced the development of the uh, Payroll Protection Plan, and she was extremely efficient at getting uh, a grant proposal put together, securing the funds uh, from that uh, program, which helped to augment the functioning of the church, but in, and very importantly, uh, kept costs in school having to furlough and lay off any of their employees during the time that things were shut down because of the pandemic. Basically, Cindy is, uh, is a linchpin for all of the activities of the church. Almost nothing can happen without her help. And fortunately, she does a wonderful job uh, and uh, is great to work with on top of it. So great, and we're really happy to have her. There's so much that I love about working here. Probably the thing I'm most proud of about working here is whenever someone asks me where I work, I'm, I'm really happy to say that I work for First Presbyterian Church because uh, everyone does so much to help the community and beyond, and it just feels really good to work somewhere that's making a difference in individuals' lives and agencies and, and just helping out. And the congregation is so friendly and welcoming and has just made me feel at home ever since I've been here. And so I'm very proud to be working here and hope to continue for a very long time.
Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for all the gifts you have given us, and we return these humble tithes and offerings to you, that they may be used for your glory. In this place and throughout your world, in Jesus' name, amen. And now, my brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once more into these doors. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you.